Hello everyone, I'm Lloyd. I am Emma. And welcome to your little bonus episode of For What It's Earth, Don't We Spoil You. Um, that we do. I am bringing you an interview from earlier in the summer. And you can tell it's in the summer in this interview because there's birds and uh, there's just general chirpiness compared to general rain. General chirpiness. And general chirpiness, yeah. I didn't I... know he was invited. <laughs> that was a terrible joke, wasn't it? Anyway, I don't even know why I'm here in this intro because Lloyd ditched me to go and do this interview yep, it's by just himself. Yeah, I went to sit down with Dan Rouse, ornithologist and wildlife presenter. Lovely, lovely Dan Rouse. We had a really nice chat about all things green, uh, ranged from how you can encourage more wildlife to your garden and tips for doing so, um, some recycling bits and bobs, um, some stuff about her and her work. Uh, it was really nice. Really enjoyed it. Um Sorry, Emma. Uh, absolutely fine. I'll just be here for the intro and the outro. That's... And I'll enjoy listening in the middle. Go. This is the Lloyd Show now. Ooh. Mm. Anyway, enjoy. Hello, lovely listeners. I am joined by a very special, very lovely guest, uh, Dan Rouse. <laughs> um, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, you might be able to hear the sounds of nature outside. And traffic. And a little bit of traffic, <laughs> but hopefully we can get that out in, in the post-editing. <laughs> yeah. In which case, uh, you can pretend we're in a lovely garden. Because we kind of are. It's very leafy. Yeah, it's very nice. We've got lots of birds around as well. Lots of different smells of the plants. And it's right next to the university, which is perfect because it's right in urban areas as well. It's a lovely little hideaway. So um, Dan is an ornithologist and a presenter with the BBC as well. Um, an ornithologist, bird expert. Yes, so basically someone that watches birds for numerous amounts of time in the wet and in the rain and in the wind. Just... You do it for the love of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's something that you've got to be very adapt to wetland wildlife and be prepared to get very soggy <laughs> to love birds i uh, yeah you would have to love them. <laughs> so um talking of birds you might be able to hear the lovely bird song around us um, and you were just telling me about some of the calls because i am terrible with species identification i'm a biologist but i'm a terrible biologist whereas you were picking up on some of these yes yeah, so those great tits around they've just flown past us but there was two of them. The easy way to tell the males and females apart is by that black band in the middle. If it's relatively thick to the yellow on either side, it will be the male. If it's very, uh, very thin and just like almost like finger whips, it will be the female. So we had two of them just around us. There's chiff chaffs calling and a robin, and I think there's some mallards somewhere. Can you little quacks every so often? <laughs> we we did have to uh, move our filming location because we were down by the pond and there were a couple of geese walking around with their <laughs> chicks basically <laughs> and yeah. they uh, kept bothering me for for food or i don't know they were hissing at me they were just yeah. aggressive in general <laughs> <laughs> and i would just be distracted by geese anyway <laughs> <laughs> i mean you were telling me earlier that you were part of geese task force uh yeah so basically um what we did as part of like a, a, a worldwide study was to look at the different behaviors of geese how they interacted with other species their migration routes, how they reared their young in particular. So with geese, they are very, very good parents that you can leave the eggs with them and then they'll hatch out and they'll look after them. But it's the complete opposite with ducks. Ducks have 
sort of um, if they have 10 two will survive so as long as they churn out like 15 eggs maybe two young will survive whereas geese are like I can cope with three I'll have three eggs which is oh, why well. geese are so aggressive because they are brilliant parents that, that does go some way to explaining it I can almost forgive the geese now yeah because <laughs> uh, I've cycled through that park a few times and they do not like me on my bike no <laughs> they basically don't like anything bigger than them so when you're like me and you're five foot ten and you're trying to walk past a little herd of geese and they've got young you just get ankle bitten constantly <laughs> so it's best just stay clear yeah it's best to even if they come towards you just move your arm towards them you can just bump them on the nose basically like sharks just land sharks <laughs> just, like sharks. <laughs> just bump them up the way sharks with wings how terrifying is that for <laughs> they a are terrifying, <laughs> but that that study was what when you were with the wwt right yeah so um I was based in Llanelli and you had like your little mingo group of geese, particularly my love for red-breasted geese. So we'd have the conservation team would go out to Bulgaria to study the lesser white-fronted geese, to study the uh, um, red-breasted geese, and then they'd go to Ireland, study brent geese, and then we'd have a couple of people in different centres and we would study our captive geese to see whether the behaviours mimic those of the wild, how we can help them to feed in certain areas, so like changing their feeding style, changing if they want to be fed next to water or fed in the grass, whether they're eating and grazing themselves. So it's basically just a lot of time watching geese yeah, and yeah. then writing it all down and sending it off. That's amazing. So you're with the WWT, the, the Wild Far... The, sorry, you have to... Yeah, <laughs> Wild Fall and Wetlands Trail. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for how many years did you say? Uh, seven years I was with Lentley. Yeah. Fantastic. And, but now... You, uh, you've gone out on your own. Yeah, grown up a little bit. Fantastic. <laughs> and you do some presenting as well? Yes, yeah, so I present for, um, I'm a fluent Welsh speaker, so I present for S4C uh, primarily. So I do a lot for their um, online stuff for Hansh, and then um, BBC Radio Wales, I do every other month or every few months, talking about different wildlife you can see. And then doing some writing, so I write for the Bay Magazine and Birdwatch Magazine. Basically anywhere I can engage people with wetland wildlife or general wildlife or birds I'll sort of try and wiggle into that way and try and encourage more people especially kids uh, a lot of it is you need to get children involved because they are the next generation but if you don't get the parents involved then the kids aren't going to get involved the interest will go I suppose yeah if parents drive it's the same as like every child is interested in dinosaurs but then if your parents yes. aren't that interested in dinosaurs they're not likely to take you to like all these museums and these big shows and teach you about them it's the same with wildlife so if you don't get the parents on board with encouraging it then the kids are likely to just fizzle out and lose interest so by the age of 11 majority of children lose their hobbies and they develop new hobbies so it's trying to get the youngsters to still love wildlife as they're growing up as well that's fantastic that you're taking that um whole approach almost delving into the psychology i suppose of yeah. it, to really get behind and make sure it sticks so do you find that um uh, I, I suppose a lot of kids want to go to like the zoos or like they dream of going to safari and yeah. they see like David Attenborough's documentaries. Do you find it's difficult to, or, or are people surprised that there's so much wildlife around? Yeah, especially little things like um, bats, for example. The UK has got 18 species of bat. Most people see a bat and say, oh, that's a bat. And it's, well, it's tiny. It could, it's a pipistrelle, so it could be one of three species. But then trying to get people to be more interested in like bees in particular with the 25 species of bumblebee yeah. so it's trying to get it's not just one thing tick it off like with lions you just you see a lion in africa and you're like african lion yeah. tick that off 
it's trying to encourage people that there's more to just looking at something and being like okay that's a tree and it's yeah but there's so many different types of tree and they all do different purposes the easiest way to get to kids is the weird stuff so anything like blobfish is particularly famous for we, we love a good blobfish if you haven't uh, seen one uh, before definitely yeah go and google it because it's you just feel sorry for the <laughs> yeah there's a really good artist illustration of what they actually look like on the seafloor because their skin is made out of gelatine as soon as you take them out of the water they basically deflate oh so, so, no. so today we are judging it and actually it's not its best uh, time of day is it really it's basically like waking up in the morning and someone going like oh great and you're like well give me an hour to wake up <laughs> this is not my best angle yeah. you've taken me 300 meters up <laughs> Like you've just taken me out of where I live and then showed me to all the cameras being like, oh, look how ugly it looks. And it's like, I don't belong here. I don't live on land. <laughs> it's even something like ladybirds. Um, whenever kids put ladybirds on their hands, they're like, oh, it's so cute. It's a ladybird. And then you get like these little drops of liquid and you're like, yeah, that's wee. Ladybirds wee out of their paws. So when they're picking them up, the kids are like, oh, it's just dew and it's just waters. <laughs> Wash your hands. No, no, no. <laughs> it's things like that. It's teaching kids about the weirder side of things that gets them more interested. The amount of times I've told kids that um, water hog louse in particular have got blue blood because they just absorb pure oxygen out of the water. The amount oh, of kids wow. then that I see trying to scrape them up off the bottom of ponds, it's like, okay, great, we're now looking for them, but there's other things in the pond as well, like dragonfly larvae that live underwater for two years and then emerge for 10 days. So it's teaching kids about the weird side of things if something eats something else or eats the same species kids are into it i bet i bet <laughs> we were doing some uh, school outreach recently and uh there were lots of explosion stuff they'd loved but it's yeah. like surprisingly almost to me the thing they loved the most was holding these hissing cockroaches yes they just i mean obviously you get the, the squeamish ones but even they're really interested in yeah. what's going on uh yeah and you're right yeah when you can engage people in in not just the run-of-the-mill things but stuff that's going yeah. behind they'll actually start looking for it especially like with birds as well when you say like this bird travels like arctic terns for example have the longest migration route when kids learn that the amount of times i've sat there watching turns them being like is that an arctic turn is that an arctic turn is that not it's like right great we've learned a species let's try and identify it now <laughs> i mean i suppose uh, the uk is quite known for being quite biodiversity poor isn't it yes with urbanization and uh, population numbers on quite a small island and the factory been developed for quite a while relative to yeah it's it's sort of getting the right way now but it's not the uk it's sort of single countries that are doing stuff like scotland at the moment are doing like this can and plastic return so i think you get like 20 pence or 12 pence yes yeah if you that. return something it's like right but why is one out of the four doing that why aren't we all adopting that yeah like wales was first to do the plastic bag charge and then england sort of felt like they then have to do it and it's like well why don't we all work together and put a policy throughout the uk not just one country using their own government and changing stuff their own way is that quite difficult when it comes to for example like wetlands like regulation of these protected areas um sort of it's mainly eu which makes right. everything a lot more difficult so oh, interesting a lot of policies particularly environmental policies are eu policies but the trouble we've got with Brexit is that if we leave the EU, are we still going to have all these policies? So a lot of marine protected zones are EU protected zones. Um, there's a lot of bird projects, like the Little Turn project is an EU life project. Hen harriers are EU life projects. Roseate terns are EU life projects. So all the species we are trying to conserve because we've completely bumped them off 
are coming from EU funding. So it's how are we now going to support our wildlife when we can't even support basic things? Precisely. So it's, it's a bit worrying considering the amount of projects that are now up and running and are now proven to have so much success working with all these different partnerships. Are they all going to still work together when the EU is not bumping in that extra money? Yeah, so we're in a bit of a crucial stage, I suppose. Yeah, so it's that's why it's so important now for people to start doing a little bit more, even if it's just um, plastic bags. Don't buy plastic bags. Yep. Keep reusing your own. There's some really nice Hessian ones you can buy. Like, I've got loads of them. Just and also very stylish. Yes. That's mainly any, anything with flamingos <laughs> on, I will buy. <laughs> Everywhere you go, and there's like a Hessian bag with like dragonflies painted on it. And it's like, oh, bye. <laughs> so yeah. I got no longer got any plastic bags. They're all just Hessian ones because I keep buying pretty stuff. <laughs> but it's things like um, takeaways. Try and order from a takeaway that has foil instead of plastic because you can recycle the foil better than the plastic. Or if you do order from like a Chinese that has plastic boxes, wash them out and reuse them for yep. your own purpose. I, I do sort of rely on them for my Tupperware these days, yes. I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I break so many of them. <laughs> I, I have a habit of just putting them in my bag, putting my bag on the ground, and then everything just gets crushed. Ah, yeah. But it, it's one of those things that you can't get rid of plastic. There's no possible way of removing plastic from our lives because it's so ingrained in everything like computer monitors are plastic mobile phones have got plastic parts in them we can't now get rid of plastic but we can get rid of that silly plastic like going to green grocers or going to farms instead of going to tesco and buying all your stuff wrapped in plastic precisely yep it's just little changes that people can make you haven't got to go mainstream and completely bin out plastic because i i love bottles of the two liter bottles of cherryade i will <laughs> i'll drink them all the time but I always feel bad because they are in plastic, but I like fizzy drinks. <laughs> but instead, I sort of cut them in half, and if you put the funnel side inside the big side, they make perfect windowsill planters. So everything- That's a good tip. <laughs> I really like that. <laughs> Just reuse everything. If you yeah. can find a purpose, like tires, because I've obviously I've got a car, when my tires run out, I pile them on top of each other, and they make perfect potato planters for the garden. So just no reuse way. everything. Just don't bin anything. If you can, reuse it. But you can't get rid of plastic. There's no way of doing it. But we can improve our footprint and improve what we use plastic for. So you were saying you, you go into schools yep. and you give lovely talks. Yep. Is that mainly about uh, wildlife, uh, like bird? Um, yeah, so most of it is bird related just because everyone's got their own little niche that mine is birds because I've grown up loving birds since I was six. And you were a valued member of the uh, Goose Task Force as yes. well, of course. Team Goose. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually got a goose tattoo because I felt so like, <laughs> ingrained in <laughs> geese. They're just part of my life. Everywhere I go now, you just stand there and people will be watching like, oh look, it's this. And you're like, yeah, but look, <laughs> there's geese. <laughs> Won't someone think of the geese sometimes? When you see all these things, like all these memes online, like a goose does this, and you're like, poor geese. <laughs> they get <laughs> a really bad rep. <laughs> <laughs> they, they have such a horrible rep. And then working with them, you can see why the amount of times that like, you walk into a closure and they just attack you, and you're like, I'm trying to help your species. <laughs> Stop attacking me. This is for your own good. <laughs> we actually have a goose jail, so when they misbehave, they get put into a side pen away from no. everyone else. Like, you're in goose jail now. And then all the kids are like, oh, why is he in there on his own? When he thinks about what he's done, and then he apologises, he can come out. <laughs> like, being quite tall, and these geese are literally, like, 
a foot and a half, maybe two foot tall. They are terrifying. Yeah, they, when you get up close to them, you suddenly realise that they're big birds. Yeah, <laughs> particularly like because um, I go abroad quite a lot. When you've got things like spurwing geese, which are very tall geese and who also have spurs on their carpals, so on their wings you've got that little joint and they've got like full on spikes on them. So when oh, they say that's like. That's just what you want from a goose, isn't yeah. it? Um, Another I've, spike. Yeah, I've only ever been really drastically hurt by one species and that was a swan and that was just my misunderstanding of the swan and we apologise and it was all good. It did throw up on the swan, it was not pleasant at all. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. We apologise. We're all friends now. We're good. Good. <laughs> I'm glad everyone reconciled that with each other. Perks of working with birds. I wasn't expecting that story when we sat down. <laughs> yeah. You can ask anyone that works with birds anything and they'll have sort of stories of birds pooing on them, biting them, everything. Um, Fulmar in particular, find a seabird, any seabird researcher and say, have you worked with Fulmar? And the answer is just, Oh God. <laughs> Their faces drops. Yeah, it? <laughs> it's just like, no, we don't want to work with Fulmar. They basically got, um, as you get closer to them, because they, they obviously, the seabirds, they eat fish. When you go to reach for the nest, they'll vomit on you. And it's like a fishy smell that gets under your skin. So no matter how many times you wash, it's still there. <laughs> you can't get rid of it. I can't defend my chicks, but I can make of a bad time later. It's like the perfect response. Like if you try and attack something, they're bigger than you it's not going to work. If you freak them out, you're instantly like, oh, I don't want to touch that now. Yeah, I'm going to get yeah. thrown up on. <laughs> so you were telling me earlier some really nice tips. Well, tips and concerns you have about um, bird boxes. Yeah, there's a lot of... Um, now it's the season of that birds are nesting. Um, it's mainly April time that they all start kicking off and then the legal side of things that you can't tamper with nests come into force on March. But as soon as the bird boxes come out and the stores start stocking them, that's when you see all the problems arising. So um, bird boxes need to be FCS, um, FSC approved. Basically means that the wood is treated, it's good wood, it's a certain standard that is safe for birds and for wildlife, basically. Um, a lot of it you can get for building materials and stuff as well. But with bird boxes, a lot of these novelty ones are like in the shape of caravans or lighthouses and stuff. As soon as you turn them over or you check the tag, they are not FSC approved, which means the wood is not up to a certain standard. And the FSC is? Uh, Field Studies Council. Great. So when you put... Um, you put basically putting lives inside these boxes for the birds and then the birds are then thinking it's a good idea they're then having chicks but the wood isn't breathable that's one of the main problems with it the wood doesn't breathe so that all the air on the inside particularly now that with climate change everything is getting hotter we're getting more sunnier spells and not putting boxes in the right location in your garden doesn't help either but basically the boxes get way too hot and if you heat up an egg obviously it just cooks mm. so there's a lot of problems with bird boxes that people are buying like these novelty ones where they're not a certain standard so that birds are now getting harmed there, there was a craze about two years ago of buying metal bird boxes oh i can Why, already yeah. imagine with what you just said about overheating yeah uh, people were buying like there were wooden boxes with these nice metal lids on top and it's obviously the sun is in the sky yeah. so that it's then shining onto this bird box and it's just cooking the inside so the easiest way is to either buy from um, good places or good regulations like RSPB stores 
or just looking for a little symbol. So everyone now does it with their fish. They look for the Marine Conservation Society symbols or course, the RSPCA yeah, yeah. Um, logos. But we should also be doing it with everything. So bird boxes need to have a certain standard as well. So it's easier to buy a bird box and just paint it yourself. Decorate yeah. it. There you go. And you get the fun afterwards as well. Especially if you've got kids as well, or if people work in schools and stuff. A good way to get them involved, yeah. Yeah, it's getting them, especially um, with nest box cameras now, people like to be, I'm one of them, I'm such a nosy person, so I've got nest box cameras in all of my garden boxes, because I like to see who's in them. And Do you get many visitors? Uh, I got a lot of blue tits, yeah. that's about it. <laughs> but you've got like these, um, when you go to stores now, Wilkinson's has got some. They're like nesting baskets, they're designed to be... Um, nest pouches so they're like made out of wicker they look really really good um, the only problem is there's not many species that would nest in a pouch like that they've got robins and stuff on the front of the box whereas op robins are open nesters so they're not going to nest in a little basket with a little hole in it but they do make perfect roosting things so okay. during summer months obviously everything's breeding but during winter months there's not much shelter so a lot of birds suffer from the cold quite a lot um, their roosting temperatures uh, they have to go to sleep earlier to try and keep some heat in but these roosting pouches i've because we've got a cat i just take some cat's fur and put it in the bottom and we had 12 wrens in one i read a large oh, wow. one so you just put that in the tree with some little fur or moss or something and just, just, just to help keep them warm yeah the fur and moss, yeah. yeah they were just in there all winter i put a little camera outside of it and you'd watch them every night just come in sitting there together um, i have like it almost looks like one of those teepee houses ones but they're like four pounds to buy and the amount of wrens that go into them just to roost or sit in there because it's warm that it's just perfect oh beautiful so so you're obviously recommending that people check where the bird books come from whether they've been approved and yeah. so suitable and also presumably where you put them in your garden even if you get the right one yeah, yeah. so obviously northern winds is a lot colder so if you put it facing north when you've got northern winds it blows into the hole which means it is going to get a bit colder but if you can put some shelter in front of them I've got one in a northern position but it's inside a hedge so that it's got a bit of blockage just from the wind but sort of southeast southwest is perfect locations because it's nice wind um, it's got a nice amount of sun and then it's not likely to rot as well so if you put it in complete shade it's likely to start growing fungi and stuff oh wow okay that's yeah but that, those are things that i've never considered yeah. before I, I know a lot of people who might have bird boxes that wouldn't have considered these things either because yeah. you sort of assume oh, i'm helping out which they are they're, yeah. they're doing a really nice thing uh, but th there's obviously a lot more thought that should go into it yeah it's, it's one of those things that a lot of people um it's just like everyday stuff people don't quite think for themselves so I've done it when I did it for about four years, put up nest boxes and then kept complaining that nothing was coming to these boxes. And then when I started reading into it and realizing I put them all in the wrong locations, then it was as soon as I've moved them, things are now starting to come into them. So not putting them too near your house, putting them further away so they have a bit more shelter. Um, I've got a lot of cats around by me, so not putting uh, yeah. them close to a wall top where the cats can just no, no, reach no, down. No, no, where they can get up or, yeah. Yeah. or down. Yeah. yeah, trees are perfect. Or if you don't have trees, a side of your house is good. Or even garages. But it's not just like boxes you can put up. You can also put up like the house martin homes as well, which are ideal at the moment. 
but with these nests you can just put up one of the false ones they're just made out of ceramics or they're made out of like a plasticky material and they're quite easily adaptable to them so the house martins are quite happy to use them as well so it's not just the standard hall boxes you can put up or the robin boxes there's so much different stuff like if you're building a house or building a garage you can put in swift boxes into you can buy them as bricks now um, there's hedgehog homes to put in your garden there's like little mouse homes to put in your garden there's so much different stuff you can help wildlife with yeah that people can get more involved with it that's amazing because yeah, one of our well our very first episode we did for this podcast was all about bees uh, yeah. and uh, having little bee houses for yeah. those but that's uh that's fantastic so there you go listeners you can f- fill your garden <laughs> with many other boxes so you were talking about the bricks as well yeah those bricks that would go into the structure itself yep they're proper bricks that have got homes built into them that's so amazing you can buy them swift ones uh, i think you can buy bat ones now as well but um i was tempted just to knock down part of the wall for the garage and, and just put one in <laughs> <laughs> so maybe i'll just put up a box <laughs> i don't fantastic. think i had no idea those existed yeah, they're really good like they are proper concrete slabs that you put into the structure takes the weight fine but obviously if you're not building something you can still buy the wooden versions or the um, plastic versions to go up into gardens as well like the biggest one at the moment with hedgehogs is that they don't have enough habitats to breed in or um, a lot of it is they are in danger even just cutting a hole in your fence and putting in a little highway so they can get back and forth mm. is perfect putting in like hedgehog homes i've got um, a mammal feeding station it's basically a 10 litre box that I've cut a little hole in the side and put a cat's dish in and cable tied the roof down. I get about three hedgehogs every night that go in. I was about to ask if you get visitors yeah, for that. Yeah, hedgehogs, um, house mice, and I did have one harvest mice, which was bizarre because we don't get them where I live, but I've got a camera in there and filmed it and you're like, oh wow, right. So where on earth did that one come from? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, if you put these out, you might get species we shouldn't even really have. The UK has got so much different wildlife like we've got eagles in scotland we've got puffins in wales in england we've got dolphins we've got whales we've got occasionally you get turtles there's sharks and it's like how people always insist on going abroad like i'm guilty of it i'll travel the world just to see like different types of whale uh, different types of birds in particular but it's like you've most people forget that we have got so much wildlife here it's only when my friends come over from like south africa and um abroad that they come here and you're sort of saying like that's a chaffinch and they're like oh like that's amazing like that is so good and you're like that's a chaffinch it's just we've got loads of them here yeah but then when you go to their country and you're like amazed by like secretary birds and everything they're like oh yeah they're just here you you forget how important yeah how inspiring our wildlife can be yeah i think that's the problem that you always want what you don't have so you're always wanting to go abroad to see all the wildlife there that you sort of forget about the wildlife closer to home and sometimes like i do it like you i'm always dreaming about going to a different place like going to tenerife in july to go snorkeling and stuff and you're like that's amazing but then you're like i could go snorkeling here i just haven't as you said you, you, you might not realize that there are plenty of shark species in the uk yeah. around the weekend waters yeah it's like seals as well like whales in particular is very good for seals as same as scotland and most of the time when you go snorkeling the seals are very inquisitive so they do come up to you yeah so it's things like that that you can have all those amazing wildlife interactions right here 
Um, there's a place in Pembrokeshire that have uh, spider crabs that breed and there's literally thousands of them across the seafloor and you can just oh, snorkel wow. and watch them and it's like, that's amazing. But yeah, I'll still go abroad to watch yeah. different crabs and you're like, it's balancing it. So being like a naturalist and ornithologist and someone who loves wildlife is balancing what we have here with what we have across the world. So it's, if we're wanting to observe that wildlife and protect that wildlife, we should be protecting our wildlife as well. Like a lot of these campaigns with like the plastic pollution, you look at the pictures and very few pictures are actually UK-based wildlife. Um, there's the one with the lanterns with the barn owl, that's a big campaign picture. But other than that, you've got like um, turtles or you've got exotic frigate birds and stuff. And you're like, people don't have that personal link with it because it's not ours. It's so true. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's not something that you associate with protecting because it's not your problem. Because it's somewhere else, it's someone else's problem. So another thing you uh, mentioned earlier was slug pellets, right? Yeah, there's it's a lot of like garden stuff now is detrimental to wildlife. So slug pellets, um, you put them out, but then it doesn't just kill slugs and snails. It kills, it well basically they're toxins, they're poison. So you're basically putting poison down in your garden for mice to eat, for hedgehogs to eat. So obviously hedgehogs eat slugs, and if the slugs are eating poison, you're now going up the food chain and poisoning the top level things. So uh, the same thing happens like to bigger animals that you start with a smaller food chain member they have a disease or they get poison and then it ends up at the top of the food chain it's the same in our gardens that slugs are now getting poisoned well they've always been poisoned but it's now detrimental to hedgehogs and they're on a massive decline anyway so it's seeing the decline in them is just scary in itself but mm. then it's not helping when we keep adding to it. But there's loads of different stuff you can do, like copper tip. In, instead of the pellets? Yeah, yeah. So um, crushed eggshells is one. So you can crush eggshells around the borders of plants and that is supposedly meant to reduce slugs. I don't think it works for me, but I may not be doing it right. <laughs> but copper tip, I found really works. It sort of gives them like a little zap so it turns. Oh, really? Basically, like turns them. I'm not sure how it works, but it's just it's brilliant. So, so do you lay down like a strip of it, or do you like have to cut it up? Um, I think you have to cut it up. So the way I've got it, I've got a strawberry box. So I've just put tape around the edge of the box, and the slugs no longer go. They can't get into it. Same as like other plants, I've just put like little circles around some of my main ones. That I don't want them to eat up. Yeah. Like vegetables, I'd rather not have slug slime all over it because slug slime is actually mucus it comes so it comes from their mouth or their parts that produce mucus so it's basically snot so if you're eating vegetables or slug slime on it you're just eating you snot. got snail slot yeah <laughs> so it's, it's not nice in general to eat but copper tips a good one to use around i do cut my garden like as much as i want to have a wild patch I have to keep it nice and short just because I like the way it looks. But at the same time, I have a huge plant border that runs the whole length of the garden that has got wildflowers in it. It's got nocturnal scenting flowers like lavender for the moths. So it's getting different stages. I can grow my own fruit in there. But it's doing little things like that. Kids love strawberries. 
So instead of going out constantly and adding to the pesticides market by keeping to buy strawberries, you can just grow them in shoes or something. My old wellies, I've cut the tops off and they make perfect little herb planters. Pop bottles, if you turn them inside out, you can put herbs in them. I've got little ones that you can get from supermarkets. You just add them to water for like a day and then plant them. And then you've got an instant supply of herbs, especially mint. When you're having drinks outside, you can just pick your own mint. It's little things that you can change that is a lot more fun. Like I find it more fun growing my own strawberries because I get excited going out like, oh, I can pick them now. But at the same time, all the flowers that the strawberries come from, before the strawberries come sort of in season, the bees are constantly filling them up and the bees are using them and then I can then use them because I can have the strawberries. It's sort of like win-win for everyone. That's the bit. So normally every, uh, every week, every episode, we do a section where we say, like, what have we done this week to change things? But you've just given us so many suggestions. <laughs> I'm not going to make you do that at yeah. all. We've had so many great suggestions, like the uh, turning bottles inside out, yeah. the planters, the potatoes, the tyres. That... You can even use tyres for like garden ponds. All you need is bin liners, wrap your tyres in it, put some stones in the bottom, uh, put some soil underneath it to prop it up into like a disc shape and you've got a garden pond. That's absolutely beautiful. So uh, are there any good resources that people that you know of that people might be able to log on um, if they fancy doing a bit of... The Wildlife Trust have got some brilliant ones so uh, they've got a really good in their 30 days wild uh, if you're not subscribed to that you get a calendar and you get some information of ideas of wild stuff you can do every day. Um, Nick Baker's got a really good book. Um, I love Nick Baker. I love him. He's so underrated. <laughs> He's such a lovely person. But you've got his book is really good. It's got different homes you can make for wildlife and it's all like DIY based. It's a really good one. I just can't remember the name of it. That's okay. Um, people can definitely hop online and find it. I'm That's exactly what I'm going to do straight after this. Yeah. It's, is, is look for that book because I haven't got a garden in my place, but I feel like I can give it to my parents and they can do it on my behalf. Yeah. It's even like, even if you don't have gardens, you can use like the windowsill planters. So you can add them to your windowsill. Or even like the, I don't know how I feel about these bird feeders that you attach to windows. Yeah. Just because so many birds are killed by windows. To me, it just baffles me why you would then stick food to a window. Probably not a good idea. Okay, that's, that's good. That's very good advice. The easiest way around that is to put up the bird reflective stickers. You can get them for like 99 pence off eBay. Oh, of course, yeah. Stick them on and then stick the bird feeder and it gives them the indication that there is another layer behind that Yeah, because bird birds notoriously aren't very good at seeing glass, which you can understand. I've a few times heard a loud thud and there's a yeah. very clear pigeon indent on the I've glass. I've walked into so many glass doors. Oh, they go, pi pigeons and Dan. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of times, like, most buildings want them to look so pristine that I was in London and I saw a bar and you naturally think bar, door, and walked and the bar went all the way along and I just smacked the window and it's just like great and like I'm now I'm like a house sparrow <laughs> just sat there like I'm I'm one of them because it shows it goes to show that if we we can do that then birds yeah we're can supposed as well. to be so one don't of, put your boxes by the windows <laughs> we're supposed people to be one of the most intelligent things and I <laughs> we still by. can't see the glass <laughs> right I am going to let you enjoy this beautiful sunshine yep. and spot some more birds Thank you so, so much for coming down <laughs> to the We've had a great time. I've learned a hell of a lot as well. What, what's, what are you doing for the rest of your day? Uh, I am going to go pester some geese. There's some Beautiful. Nice, yeah, some nice feral geese in the next park. So I'm going to check out what species they are. And then I'll probably go get some ice cream because I fancy ice cream. Sounds like the best day ever. <laughs> Thank you so much. Nice. Mm -hmm.
So that's it. I'm back. I've got rid of Lloyd now. He's been fired from the podcast for unruly freelance interviewing. Oh, you wish. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That was great. Dan was is really so nice. nice. Yeah, she's fantastic. Um, it was a really lovely chat. Thanks again to, to Dan, Dan Rouse. Um, I hope you all enjoyed listening to the interview as much as I did. I uh, certainly did. It. it was really, really lovely. Yeah, I'm really sad I couldn't couldn't be there. It's okay. Next but well, time. well done. Well done, Lloyd. Next time. Uh, anyway, I hope you enjoyed that little bonus episode. Hopefully we'll be bringing you some more interviews and uh, like news roundups and things throughout the series as it goes on. Absolutely. But for now, um, see you. Stay green. ta You're not going to tell them to hang out with us on social media? Oh, I just wrapped it up perfectly. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. We'll, <laughs> we, we can leave it at that. Bye. Bye. <laughs> this moment to prove her credentials she's helping a spider uh, make its way across her lap sorry a spider just climbed on me that was a wolf spider by the way oh so wolf spiders have got a little white line on their back no obviously not as deadly as real wolves no good i don't know why they're called wolf spiders i'll have to look it up but they've got nothing to do with wolves other than they have a little gray stripe just trying to make themselves seem bigger than they are yeah